Hi, friends, fellow evolvers, and curious people everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Being with Sally Wilson. I'm Sally Wilson, and I have a very special return guest today. Welcome back, film director, author, amongst very many other things, Bill Bennett. Welcome, Bill. Thanks, Sally. Lo lovely to be back again. It's lovely to see your smiling face, Bill. <laughs> Yours. So, uh, people, Bill is just about to head off to the States for the rollout of his most recent film, Facing Fear. Um, Bill, just for people who aren't aware of this film yet, can you please just give us a nutshell in terms of how this film came into being? Um, it's a feature-length theatrical documentary. It, it features some of the world's leading experts on fear. Um, I had previously made a feature-length documentary on intuition. And in making that film, I, I, I came across this understanding that fear was the greatest inhibitor to intuition. We have these intuitive impulses. They come up. Most of us don't even realize they're intuitive impulses, but they say, go that direction. And then fear kicks in mm. and stops us from doing that. It, it thwarts our intuition. And I started to realize this, and then I started to realize that I didn't really know what fear was, and in the same way that I didn't know what intuition was when I first started that film. And that made me curious. It, you know, I thought, this, this is, you know, fear dominates and pervades so much of our life, but, but I don't know what it is. Maybe other people don't know what it is as well and how it works and why it works. And that really triggered, triggered it off. Um, that, was, that was the Kickstarter for it. Mm. And so you went, travelled around the world mm -hmm. and, and interviewed a whole lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And these interviews, parts of these interviews are featured in the film, right? And so <clears throat> I've seen the film a few times now mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, I, I imagine I'll see it several times more. Um, and each time I watch it, different things stand out to me. Um, so listeners and viewers, um, the, the experts that Bill has interviewed for this film are everything from spiritual teachers to mediums to scientists. Um, who else have we got, Bill? We've got such a broad range of people and different approaches, different ways of looking at fear. What else is there in the mix? Well, as a, um, a highly decorated sniper, for instance, who talks about fear from, from a, a military uh, combat veteran's perspective, you know, he, he's really quiet. He's very, very interesting. Um, we've got uh, Dr. Richard, Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, who um, founded the Internal Family Systems. He's a professor at Harvard University. Um, he gives his unique perspective. So there's there's a mix between um, science and esoteric, if you like. Mm. Um, I've tried to keep that mix uh, in in balance, and um, so there's something there for you know if <laughs> if people um, reject or feel uncomfortable with the esoteric, then there's plenty of science there to. Um, yeah. uh, you know, to talk about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I felt very privileged to be at two of your screenings, Bill, in Australia, where um, where you and your wife, Jennifer Clough, and Judith Richards were there answering questions. Judith Richards is, is featured in the film, people. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to know, of those Q&As, um, has there been any particular person in the film who has challenged audiences the most? Um, that's a really good question. Um, the film features a fellow called Paul Selig, who is a, a channel. Um, he's fast becoming recognised as one of the world's uh, most respected and leading channels. He's a highly intelligent man. He's a former academic at... Uh, and New York University. Um, I've known Paul now for quite some time. He's written nine books, and by written, um, he doesn't take credit for the writing. He has channeled these books. The books, um, many people say, are um, the new course of miracles. 
you know, they're, they're that, um, they're quite extraordinary. But Paul is challenging because there are a lot of people who don't um, believe in channeling. Um, and in a couple of cases in the film, he does channel live, if you like. He, he uh, I've kept that stuff in. Mm. Um, you know, so he's challenging. Um, but, you know, I think the thing about the film is that uh, the film... The film triggers that within you um, that, you know, that 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 is vulnerable, yeah. uh, I guess. And so everybody reacts to different people in different ways according to what they bring to the screening, mm -hmm. what they bring to the viewing. Um, and that's really one of the quite interesting things about the film, I think, is that, um, you know, certain people align with certain people in the film and feel uncomfortable I mean, the film, there's no doubt that the film is very challenging for some people, particularly for people who who do have fear, a deeply rooted fear for whatever reason. Um, but ultimately what I found, two things that, that seem to be common coming out of the screenings. One is that people say, I need to see this film again. There's so much in it. I've got to see it again. Um, and the other is how uplifting and optimistic um, they they come out of the come out of the films you know feeling yeah the film, the film is challenging but it's also ultimately very uplifting and it's also visually uplifting I mean it's just so beautiful and a lot of the um you know the filming that you did in Tasmania it's just it's exquisite and you know I'm I'm by no means um, familiar enough with how films are made <laughs> to understand the craft of it but as an ignoramus. <laughs> Um, it was just, I found it spectacular and uplifting in that way, as well as um, the information and the, I suppose, inspiration that was that was provided. And as you say, what, what is going to challenge and inspire me is going to be different for other people. And what I found really interesting was the second time I saw the film, I noticed the things that my mind wanted to react to were different. Um the people who were saying things um, which in, in the first viewing kind of made me go, really? You know, that stuff that, that stuff that really is just a part of our perceptions and the way we interpret things, it, it changed. It's almost like um, there was a level, a different sort of level of comfort and um, where perhaps in the first viewing there was resistance, in the second viewing there was more of an ability to witness it um, and just hear it differently. And, and I'm definitely, I was definitely one of those people, Bill, who in the first, you know, up in Sydney at the, at the, the world premiere there, I wished I'd had a pen and paper uh, because there were so many things that came up and questions and just, I wanted to make note of little things to kind of go away and think about. And, and that's why when we had the viewing down here in Geelong, I made sure people had a pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot to it. It's very rich. Um, and Sally, I've got to say, um, <laughs> you know, when, when I got to the final cut, I thought, God, have I dumbed this down too much? Um, you know, because there, there were cuts there where it was, even richer and even denser. Mm. Um, but one of the things that that I I think I do well is I take complex arguments, complex uh, concepts, and bring them down to a point of accessibility for most people, um, without losing the substance of that complexity. Um, and that's. Um, you know, and something something like fear. I mean, you know, we think fear. We know what fear is. I know what fear is. You know, fear is fear. Like, right, you know, <laughs> what's there to talk about? But when you really lift the lid on it, it's incredibly complex. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, you know, in going into the film, in making the film, I said to myself very early on, okay, it's one thing to make a film on fear and to look at fear and examine it forensically, but it's another thing to give people tools and keys that they can take away from the film to help them with their fear. And that was, so it was a twofold thing for me. One, one is the examination of fear. The other was to provide the tools and keys for people to 
um, to take from the film so that they can manage fear in their own way, you know, at home, if you like. Yeah. And I guess the first step in that is recognizing when we're experiencing fear because it sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds kind of like, well, duh, you know, of course we're going to recognize it, but but there are so many different forms that fear can take and so many different ways it can, I suppose, I was going to say paralyze us. That's not quite what I mean, but um, oh, it I suppose, well, it, it can paralyze us, but when, but when I'm talking sort of on the day-to-day, um, you know, fear has this extraordinary ability to prevent us from doing things, prevent us from stepping forward. And we don't recognise it because the internal dialogue um, is so normal to us. We don't necessarily realise that it's been sparked from fear. It's just it's just like working with, for example, high achievers mm. who have relentless high standards, which is wonderful, but they can be driven by survival sort of fear drives, or they can be driven by a, a joy drive and a, a fun and an inspiration. And and the joy always wins out. The the relentless kind of fear-driven stuff often doesn't end well, <laughs> one way no, or another. No, it doesn't. And the film the film looks at this as well. We have um, Natalie Ledwell, a, a very high-achieving entrepreneur out of the Lo- Los Angeles. She, um, she was the co-founder of uh, the very successful... Um, mind movies, mind movies, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was her baby. Um, and she's fantastic at talking about fear, you know, from an entrepreneur's point of view, um, of, of driving her. She talks about how, um, she doesn't feel as though she's really, um, stretching herself if there's not an element of fear, um, in, in, um, in her endeavor. Um, but she also talks about the destructive nature of fear as well, you know, and it can, it can be, it can be destructive. It can, it can urge you and push you forward. Mm. Um, but if you're not, if you're not handling it and managing it properly and recognizing it, as you say, um, it can also bring you undone in a very ugly way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, synchronicities tend to happen around this stuff, don't they? Don't they, Bill? Um, one of the 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 books that I was reading, I think in between the the first two view my first two viewings of the film, um, was by Dr. David uh, Hawkins. And at the end of this book, um, he he said, "All fear is an illusion." Now, this was in a section of the book that. Um, he sort of said, you know, only serious spiritual aspirants should read this last chapter. Um, so here am I putting it out to the public, to everybody, people who are interested and not interested. But, but um, I thought, well, wow, that challenges my idea of fear. I mean, he's coming from a, a, a very um, evolved perspective in terms of, you know, not so much identity with the body, mm-hmm. which is very foreign to a lot of us. Um, is, there, is there anything you'd like to sort of speak to there, Bill? Well, look, on one, on one level, and, and again, the film uh, touches on this, um, everything is an illusion. You know, our entire life is an illusion. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, he's right. From a biological perspective, though, um, fear is a very real thing. It's a survival mechanism. Um, it's built into our DNA. It's built into our structure. Uh, our organic structure, and it keeps us alive. Um, you know, so so to that extent, fear is not an illusion. It is something very real and biological and chemical. Um, the problem is that we have um, taken that mechanism, that, that protective mechanism of fear, and we have corrupted it, um, you know, so that, so that we, some of us have got to the point where, you know, as you said earlier, where, we're swimming in fear and we don't even realize it. It's just become so much, so endemic, so much a part of our everyday thinking, you know, and I talk about in the film how I didn't realize that, that fear had, had really sort of governed so many decisions that I made on any given day, you know, and when you, and sometimes in Q and A's, um, I say to people, ask yourself a question when you're about to make a decision, am I making this decision out of love or out of fear? Mm. 
Mm. Um, and if you bring it down to that kind of binary kind of perspective, um, it's really interesting if you pass it down how many decisions you do make out of fear. Mm. And there was something that you said in in one of the Q&As, um, and correct me if I've got this wrong, Bill, but I remember you saying, look, you may or may not believe in angels, that's irrelevant, but just try this. Just imagine um, there are angels or support around you. Can you can you take this further, Bill? Because I can't remember exactly mm. what you said, but I remember thinking, wow, I, I'm a pretty... Um, I feel like I'm a pretty um, trust-based trust person in a way. That sounds a bit silly. But anyway, I tried that exercise. I was like, wow, that takes it to a whole other level. Um, mm. And it was such a simple exercise. Can you remember that for our listeners? Oh, yeah, no, very much so. Um, when I was making the intuition film, which was called PGS, Intuition is Your Personal Guidance System, um, I was introduced, if you like, to this concept of angels by both Dr. Judith Orloff and also Carolyn Mays. Um, and I remember asking Carolyn Mays in that film, are angels useful? And she flayed me. <laughs> she took the skin off me. I mean, Carolyn Mays doesn't suffer fills. And, and it was, in fact, very funny, but one of the highlights of the film, you know, how she absolutely excoriated me. And <laughs> I... Um, but I started then to think about angels and I, I started to think because I didn't, you know, I, I sort of understood what angels were from a religious concept and all of that. And I'm not a religious person, but, um, but then I started to think, all right, well, let's go through this exercise. Let's say these people are right. Let's say there are angels around me at the moment, you know, these, these extraordinary um, um, spiritual beings around me um and they're there to love me and support me and guide me and all of this sort of thing now if this if they if they're around me right at this moment how does that impact how i react to this person how does this impact on my thoughts at this very moment i mean if i think if i think something toxic um am i comfortable with that with these angels right beside me mm. um if I'm dealing with this person in an aggressive and hostile way, am I comfortable with that, with these with these angels around me? Mm. And I started to, like you, I started to kind of put this exercise into practice. And I've got to say, Sally, it has fundamentally changed some of my habits. It really has. Mm. You know, because who's to say they're not? And there's only <laughs> you know? upside, right? There's only upside to imagining, you know, whether or not we're um, religionists, it, it kind of is, you know, some people might think of it as the universe. Some people might think of it as just, you know, the energy that's creating everything. Um, but I know that, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift. It's a real paradigm shift because I think it also questions our idea that's actually mostly unconscious for us of, of duality, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, there's, there's that, but in the end, it comes down to accountability. You are making yourself accountable for every thought, every action, every interaction. Mm. Now, whether you're accountable to yourself or whether you're accountable to these supposed angelic beings around you, yeah. it makes you, number one, aware of your, of your actions moment to moment and your thoughts moment mm -hmm. to moment because your thoughts are action your thoughts are as real and as solid and as dangerous and as beatific as your actions um so it makes you it makes you accountable it makes you aware it makes you pay attention and pay, paying attention i mean sally you and i could talk about paying attention for an hour i'm <laughs> sure you know because one of the things that i've i've learned in in the work that i've done today you know, this notion of paying attention is so important, so important, but it makes you pay attention to your thoughts and actions and interactions, and it makes you accountable. And, you know, in the end, I think that's probably one of the most important things. We have to be accountable for every thought, and every action, you know, that we put out there. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. This, this brings to mind another, um, another sort of spiritual classic Uh, people. If you haven't already picked up on this, I make a bit of a habit to read spiritual classics. Um, I'm, I'm as, as you, Bill, I don't consider myself religious. Um, but I find this stuff, um, gosh, there aren't really words to describe. I find it inspiring, enriching, um, in so many different ways. And one of the, um, the texts that this brings to mind is also that of Brother Lawrence. I think it was written in the 17th century. He was a monk in Paris and he actually didn't write this. It was someone, it was his a collection of his letters and also some conversations he had with this, this guy. And uh, the way he uh, gave himself accountability he called it practicing um well and and actually this collection is called practicing the presence of god and i know the word god challenges people we'll just you know change the name of it if you like um practicing the presence of god and he he developed this way of conversing with god internally all the time so he was absolutely accountable and and he introduces this idea that you know if you had a visitor all the time, if you had this visitor, um, would you go off and ignore them and do other things? Would you th- change the way you think, the way you speak? If this visitor is hearing everything you're thinking, everything you're speaking, every you know, experiencing everything you're feeling along with you, um, it changes. It changes your awareness in, in a similar way, I think, to what you're talking about, Bill. You know, Sally, I'll tell you something. Um, anyone can do this very, very simple exercise. Um, you get into a conversation with people around the dinner table and you start to gossip, right? And then you find yourself being drawn into this. And and we all love to gossip. But one of the exercises that I have done is I ask myself, when I'm about to say something about somebody who isn't present in the room, I ask myself, would I say that if they were actually there in the room with me? Mm. Would I actually say that about them? Mm. Um, And that's been a big bucket of cold water over me, you know, Mm. to be quite frank. Mm. Uh, Because, of course, nine times out of ten, you wouldn't say that to their face. Yeah. Um, and if you just, before you actually utter something, before you actually say something about somebody, just ask yourself that very, very simple question. Would I say that to their face if they were here right with me right now, Mm. or if they were behind me sitting in a chair and they were listening to what I was saying? Because on one level they are. Yes. Yes. Can you just elaborate on that briefly, Bill? Well, um, what we put out in thought or word or deed um, has energy. And energy um, is beyond time and space. Um, and what we say about somebody um, in some way impacts them, but it also probably more so impacts us. It actually comes back on us. Mm. Um, and nine times out of 10, what we say about somebody is actually what we're thinking about ourselves. Um, that's, um, you know, so if we're, if we're talking about somebody in some kind of negative way, what we're doing is we're actually, we're actually digging that stuff up from ourselves and we're, we're really, it's, it's coming back on us. It's boomeranging. Um, you know, so so that's why I'm very, very careful now. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I try. I still, you know, I, I, <laughs> I still get sometimes caught up with it. You know, particularly with politicians. But you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, no. yeah. So it's it's just a very, very simple exercise. Ask yourself, would I say that if that person were in the room with me mm. right now? Mm. Yeah, it's um, and you know my. My grandmother used to say, "If you can't say something nice about someone, don't say anything at all." And um, and I, you know, I remember that. I haven't always been able to apply it, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but sometimes those old, those, yeah, old, yeah, 
Yep, they um there's a very, very fundamental truth behind them. That's why they they stick around. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um are there any questions that you wished had been asked? I know that you know when you came, when you're at our screening in Geelongville, you you really wanted desperately wanted some geeky film questions, and I don't think anyone there was able to ask you geeky film questions. <laughs> um are there any questions that have remained unasked that you would have loved to have sort of tossed around? That's a really good question. Um, I wish somebody had asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, as the film details right at the very start, and it's a very confronting start. Um, there's a very the film starts off with this very very long shot of me walking to camera out of focus, and I come into focus. And my first words are, um, three days after I turned sixty five, I was diagnosed with an incurable brain disease, and then I go on to say that I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Now this will be coming up. This will be five years now since my diagnosis. Um, what I say in the film is that I was thrust into fear. Um, Sally, I'm not sure whether I said this to you or not, but um, after I did the film on intuition, I started to become quite interested in channeling and um, and I stepped up my meditation practice. And one time when I was meditating, I, I called in my masters, my spirit guides, my angels, my archangels, and I said, please bring forth that which will accelerate my spiritual growth. Yeah. And then it was not long after that that I began to experience the first symptoms of Parkinson's. Yeah. Now, I, um, I look at this um, supposedly incurable progressive degenerative brain disease as a gift as something that I can learn from and something that I can interpret and um, use in my work and hopefully uh, help other people. Um, I, I asked myself, why did this happen? You know, because I, I don't believe that these things happen randomly, particularly having asked that question when I was in this meditative state. And the only thing that I came back with was that I have to I have to put this into service somehow mm. um and, and in a sense I think with the Q&A's I think people are probably a little bit tentative about asking me about um, Parkinson's and about the impact of it and so forth I can understand that because they might think that you know I'm I'm sensitive to it I'm not I'm really quite happy to talk about it do you um because I I know uh, from well the first the first Q and A at the at the Sydney premiere, um, you it became clear that Jennifer hadn't Jennifer your wife hadn't wanted you to um, to name the diagnosis that you had. Well, she didn't want me to mention it at all. At all, right? Yeah. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, basically what, what she said was, Bill, look at the film that you've just made. You know, <laughs> the film that you've just made, you know, says that, that you create your reality with your thoughts. Mm. And um, and here you are getting up in front of audiences saying, I have Parkinson's disease. That's mm. only going to perpetuate it. Mm. Um, she was very, very strongly re resistant to my having, putting it into the film. My response to her was twofold. One is that um, I have to put it into the film because this has happened to me. Um, it did thrust me into fear. It did allow me to see fear from a very real and personal perspective, and I have to be able to share that with people. Mm. Um, but the other thing, too, is that um, I'm not me, you know. I'm, on the On the screen, that's me. I'm a character. Um, I was I was me at that time. I'm not me now. Mm. Um, you know, so what you're doing is you're not taking into account that I can stand outside of me and create a new me, you know, which is purposeful, um, which has intentions. Mm. I'm not, I'll tell you something, Sally. Um, in the first two years of my 
diagnosis. I didn't tell anybody. In fact, I, I kept this secret, apart from a small group of people, I kept a secret uh, until the eve before the film came out, so four and a half years. Um, but I went on to these um, private face, Facebook groups, Parkinson's groups, um, and I, I was a, what, what you call a lurker. You know, I didn't put my head up. I, um, I, I just looked at the posts and looked at, you know, all this stuff and... It's dreadful what people are going through. I mean, absolutely, you know, terrible, terrible stuff. And 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 then finally, I posted something and I said, "Look, I'm doing this exercise. I'm taking these supplements. I've changed my diet to this. I'm doing this and this and this, and I'm actually feeling pretty good. Uh, and I'm doing pretty well. Anyway, so the administrators wouldn't publish it. Um, yeah." And it hit me then with real force mm. that they wanted to live in the negative. Yeah. They didn't want anybody saying, "Hey, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can do good with this." And immediately, I took myself off all the Facebook mm. groups, mm. and I thought, "What you're doing? What these people are doing is they're they're creating a status." um in their misery yep in their illness uh their illness is giving them is giving them this sort of hierarchical status mm. and the people who are at the top of the hierarchy are the people who are the most miserable yeah and i thought i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play that game yeah you know yeah. and i've done basic kind of research about parkinson's so, you know but i i don't live my life on Facebook groups and doing, you know, my new research into the latest, um, um, you know, breakthroughs in Parkinson's um, scientific research, stuff like that. Mm. No, I'm getting on living my, living my life. Yeah. I don't see myself as sick. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're not identifying with it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a part of what your experience is, has been yeah. for however long, but yeah. Okay. And that's, that brings up another thing, Bill, because I remember, it's amazing the things that my brain's tucked away. Um, at another at one of the Q and A's, also, um, you mentioned that early on when you told a few people, you you got some really nice attention. You thought, oh, geez, this is nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you had to really pull yourself up, um, to not to you know just to notice that. Whereas other people wouldn't necessarily be aware enough to go, ah, oh, that's a bit of a catch. Um, if, you know, if, if I'm sick, then I get really nice attention. So, oh, I better, I better be as sick as possible because then I'm going to get a lot of really nice attention. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I tell, I told, I think you're talking about, um, the time when, um, I walked into this, um, room that had about 30 people in it that were there for a, a birthday party. And, uh, in fact, the story in the, City Morning Hero of the Age had just been published, which um you know, where I came out and said I've got Parkinson's disease. And I knew that I knew that these people knew. Mm. And I walked into this room and immediately I felt everybody, you know, somebody pulled out a chair for me, here, Bill, you know, take take a seat at this really, you know, at the head of the table. That's right. Here, Bill. No, no, don't you cut the cake, Bill. No, I'll cut the cake. <laughs> and, and don't don't you take the plate and Bill, don't 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 open that don't open that bottle of champagne no no let let me do it and and I thought bloody hell this is fabulous <laughs> I love this they're, they're making me feel really really special I don't have to do anything they're doing it all for me um and then I thought whoa god I can this is a real slippery slope you know, I can imagine how people could just jump on that top of that slippery slide and just go, you know, just go for the ride. Mm. Um, and people do that. Yes. You know? Yeah. I was, um, when I first moved back to Australia, probably almost 10 years ago, um, one, one of the modalities I had studied was, um, is called Jin Shin Jitsu. And, um, and I'm not promoting myself here because I don't practice this uh, with a public <laughs> um, now. So, um, but anyway, I had heard, Bill, and I haven't told you about this actually, I had heard that 
Jinjitsu could be very effective in um, in dealing with Parkinson's symptoms and and alleviating them and and really helping. And I and one of the the websites. Um, so I sort of did a bit of a, a bit of a look, and I found that there's a, there was a guy who had incorporated um, Jin Shinjitsu into his, um, you know, what he did in order to feel 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 better um, with Parkinson's, and actually sort of he says he got he got rid of his symptoms. Anyway, I thought, oh, this is fascinating. Let's and I I I had um, uh, you know uh, I knew somebody here uh, where I live who. Um, whose Parkinson's symptoms were pretty severe. And I asked him, I said, look, are you curious? Can, would you want to just see what, see what happens? And, um, and we did um, a session a day for 10 days, which is pretty intense. Um, the session's about an hour long. It's um, Jin Shinjitsu, J-I-N-S-H-I-N-J-Y-U-T-S-U. Um, J-I-N. S-H-I-N, new word. S-H-I-N. Third word, J-Y-U-T-S-U. J-Y-U-T. T-S-U, yeah. And the the website that I found um, where this guy was incorporating it into his own um, self-treatment was is called, I think it's called Fighting Parkinson's Drug Free, um, which is not to say that you can't incorporate his methods um, without the medication. I mean, you can, you can, you know, sort of do both. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Anyway, um, each before each treatment and after each treatment, um, this gentleman gave himself a number zero to ten on where his his symptoms were at that time. Right mm. um, at the start, his symptoms were sort of you know seven eight out of ten. I've still got the the things there. I mean, this is years ago. Now. Um, and by the end, they were sort of generally two or three out of ten. And there were things like the motor stuff, the mm. His, his walk, he'd started before he did the treatments to drag his leg and his posture had changed and his ability to speak and the cognitive stuff. So there were certain things that that he wanted to measure as well. Mm-hmm. Now, by the end, um, he was he caught he, he caught a glimpse of himself in, in a window as he walked past and he thought, I'm upright, mm-hmm. you know, and things had really changed. And I said, well, you know, this is pretty exciting. Do you want me to show you how you can do this for yourself? Mm-hmm. He didn't want me to. Oh, really? Because he was the president of the the Parkinson's something something something, and you know it was it it had become, um, it gave him. This is this is my perspective. I could be wrong, but my perspective was that it gave him uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. It gave him um, an identity. It 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 gave him a sense of this sounds negative, I don't mean it this way, a sense of importance in his community hmm. uh, gave him so many things that he didn't want to give up. And that's okay. That's okay. Hmm. Um, I mean, I was kind of flabbergasted at the time. Um, but, you know, now in hindsight, I'm like, well, that, that's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a choice then. Um, so anyway, I, I, I can totally relate to, to that sort of idea of, wow, this is actually giving me a lot <laughs> having this. And so, yeah. Well, you know, Sally, it's really interesting you say that because I've got to be careful of the same thing. Mm. You know, now having positioned myself this way, um, I've got to be careful that that I don't, you know, if I can say this, see myself as being a martyr. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I'm very, very conscious of that. I, mm. I'll tell you something. Um, I'm on medication. I've got to take medication three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um there's no doubt the medication is helping me. But um, last night I got to about to hop into bed and I realised that I'd forgotten to take my medication, which I should have taken about 7.30 at night. Right. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to take it tonight. I'm going to see what happens in the morning. Um, and I woke up this morning and no difference. Hmm. You know, so I, I had... I think the last time I had my medication was something like one thirty yesterday. You know, so um, in a strange kind of way, and I don't mean to kind of jinx myself in saying mm. this, I actually think I'm getting better. Um, I've, um, 
Okay, so this time last year, I had to go to the post office and I had to uh, send off um, send off Christmas presents and I had to sign, you know, sign the sign the express post bag and stuff like that. But my signature, on my my signature was kind of like a a chicken's a chicken scrawl, you know, chicken foot scrawl. Yeah. Um, this year, my signature was almost perfect. Mm. Um, in a strange kind of way, and I don't know what's going on, but I do think. I'm certainly not progressing at the moment, and I do feel as though I am getting better. And I think, I mean, Sally, look, I mean, you're a specialist. You probably would see things in me that would indicate that I have some sort of movement disorder, but most people wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I present as pretty normal. Well, I've never been pretty normal. but No, no. So, Bill, I, I know we don't have an awful lot more time, um, but you're about to go into the US market. You're about to take the film there and travel around the US and do some, also some Q&As after some of those screenings. Yep. Um, how is the US market, do you think, and from your experience, different from the Australian market for this film? Like what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Um, and once again, that's a really good question, Sally. I think um, I think the 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 US the pe- people in the states are more open to this kind of stuff. Um, I think they're more expressive, they're more articulate. Because um, I did the same thing after making the Intuition film. I, I toured that film around America and had Q and A's afterwards and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, I was surprised at how many people came up to me after the screenings, after the Q and A's, and I would often have a throng of people around me wanting to ask me questions. And, and, but a lot of people also said, you know what? The same thing happened to me. I mean, the, the, the film details how I heard a voice which saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the film is about how I go on this search to try and find out what that voice is. Um, so I'm expecting, I'm expecting that kind of thing. But the other thing I'm doing too, which I'm not sure you're aware, um, I want to make a, a third film in this series, and the third film is on hope. Yes. And so what I'm going to be doing during this this uh, uh, touring trip is I'm actually going to be picking up some interviews on hope as well. Ah, fantastic. I was going to I was just I was going to bring the bring the hope film up. I was hoping you would bring that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really exciting. And and Bill, you made a, a book. Oh, by the way, listeners and viewers, there is also a podcast episode. Um, with Bill in um, in being with Sally Wilson on the on intuition and the personal guidance system PGS. If you'd like to listen to that, um, Bill, are you going to write a book based on facing fear as well? Yeah, I am. I, I did a book on um, on the intuition film, which mm. was an expansion of the film. Um, I will do a book on on fear because you know, Sally, what happens is this. Um, I mean, one of the principal reasons I make these films is for me to find out about stuff. You know, I'm really curious about stuff. Yeah. And and then what I what happens is I make the film, and then I learn so much after making the film as well. You know, and talking to people and thinking more about things. Yeah. And so, you know, people say, "Oh, you really have to have a book, you know, out with with you know when the film comes out." And I go, "No, mm. I, I actually can write a better book." if I write it six months or eight months after the film, yeah. you know, because because my ideas and my um, my understanding of the subject uh, actually increases in the making of the film and, and, and the conversations that I have afterwards. So, yes, there will be a book on that. Um, I'm quite excited about the, uh, the Hope film because um, one of the things it's going to be looking at is um, prayer. You know, mm-hmm. Is prayer a form of hope? Um, does prayer work? Um, affirmations and intentions, are they a form of hope? Mm-hmm. Um, gambling, is gambling an expression of hope? Um, you know, the, these are kind of things that really quite interest me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about we talk about this whole thing about living in the now, right? How this is the ideal, that, you know, that we've got to live in the now. But hope isn't that. Hope is actually living in the future. You know, so isn't there a disconnect between what what the 
the new age people say about living in the now and having hope, mm. you can't have both. Mm. You either live in the now or you have hope. You can't mm. you can't do both because mm. hope is a projection. Yeah, I've I've offered I, I've I've considered that friction too, Bill, because you know it's hope is it's a concept that's so vital to you know different spiritual traditions um and and yet being present yeah i, I it's um oh i'm looking for oh, well i'm looking forward to what you find out about this well, bill <laughs> yeah well, like i say it's just a start really at the moment but but mm. there are so many there are so many things and false hope um one of the things that i discovered i called it a hope bridge sally when um when I was making PGS, there were periods of time when I didn't have enough funds to to proceed with the next stage of filming. And what happened is I latched on to people who basically were flakes. You know, they were they were they were they were people that were full of shit. Um and they promised me things that there was one part of me I knew would never ever happen. But I called them hope bridges. And what I realized was that they were they were a hope bridge that I could cross over in transitioning, you know, from one point to another. They kept me going, even though I know they're full of shit. Mm, <laughs> you know? That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so they actually served a really important function. You know, people would say, Oh, you wasted your time talking to that person and you you invested so much, so much time and so much hope in them. Yes, I did invest hope, but that but that kept me going. Yeah. You know, they were a transition bridge from one point of activity to another point of activity. Um, yeah, you know, and you weren't naive in that. <laughs> no, I was very, very conscious. Of, of, but mm. in truth, I was also, there was, you know, 5% of me was saying, well, this guy could come through. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, yeah. they could, all these outlandish claims that, you know, that that he's saying, you know, like, like for instance, um, look, I, he would get on the phone. He was really excited. I've just spoken to this person who's going to be good for a $1 million investment. I go, well, who is this person? And I go, well, he is the girlfriend of the bodyguard of this billionaire. I go, the girlfriend of the bodyguard of the billionaire says that the billionaire is going to give me $1 million. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. And I go, well, get the billionaire to call me. <laughs> and we'll have a conversation <laughs> rather than the, rather than the girlfriend and the bodyguard. <laughs> oh know? gosh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. So yeah. then, so, look, I'll get the bodyguard on the on. I'll, I'll get the billionaire on the phone for you. Um, I, I detail in my Camino book this conversation that I have with this um, billionaire in a plane. I was walking the Camino, and he had promised to totally finance this film that I was wanting to do on um, on a killings in America in uh, India. Um, and I get on the phone with him. Finally, he's he's on his private jet over Iceland, and. I speak to this guy for the first time in months when I've been when this fellow has said, "Look, I'll get you through the billionaire," and he says, "Yeah, I'll um I'll put this money into your film on honor killings in India, but who's the choreographer?" I go, "What? What do you mean choreographer? I'm I'm doing this really important social issue film on honor killings in India." He says, "Yes, but you've got to have a choreographer for the for the dance numbers." Oh, so he thought it was going to be some sort of Bollywood thing. Yeah, he said you got you got you got to have you got to have dance. You you've got to have singing. Um, and then he said, and you've got to have ringtones, because he was made his money out of um, telecommunications. He said you've got to have ringtones in this film so that so that I can sell the ringtones. And I said, um, I think we're talking about a different kind of film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, different intentions, kind of... different film, different everything. Different. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You know, yeah, he was a hope bridge. This guy, yeah. no, it never yeah. worked out. But, but you know, so so these are the kind of things that I'm really quite interested in in, in this mm. next film on hope. Yep. And so, for people who um, are in Australia listening to this or watching this, um, who've missed the screenings here, I know at, at one point you said this film will never be on Netflix. Mm. Um, mm. Where will they be able to access this film, Bill? 
Um, in Australia, um, we'll probably be having some virtual screenings uh, shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they should watch out for, you know, on on the film's website or in if if they're following me on social media. Uh, or following the film on social media, just uh, we will be having virtual screenings, and then beyond the vir- virtual screenings, then it will be going onto Amazon, um, Google Play, stuff like that. Okay, yeah. great. And so um, the film's website is facing fear. Facingfearfilm dot com. Great, and um, and all of the social media links are they on there as well, Bill? If people want to connect with um, you that way. Yes, they are, and um, but people can follow follow me or follow the film on Instagram or um, Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So so Je- Jennifer is really on top of all that sort of social media feed stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. And I'll make sure During that we have. Hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll make sure out for everybody that we've got some of those links um, in the copy of of these episodes as well. So you can look them up that way too. Thank you. Um, Bill, thank you so much once again. It's been an extraordinary pleasure just chatting oh, with you. Sally, it's, it's always <laughs> lovely, lovely talking to you. You know, you you um you do your research, you 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 know, you you're just lovely to talk to. So thank you. Well, and also um, listeners and watchers, just so you know, I, you know, I said to Bill, if there's anything that I ask that you don't want, you know, that's not appropriate or you don't want to go there, just tell me or redirect me. And he said, no. Nah, no, I'm happy to go anywhere. So that's uh, that's uh, the open-minded, um, you know, very courageous person we have um, as our guest today. And so thank you, Bill, for everything. And listeners and watchers, thank you for joining us in this very important conversation as well. And I look forward to seeing or speaking with you all over the waves next time. Bye, everyone. So